everyone. Thank you for joining us today for a new episode of One Vision. Today we have a good friend, and I'd say long-term friend of ours, Patrick Rivenberg, who has been on a mission to help people see the value of local communities. He's been a very outspoken supporter for why we need communities, why we need humans. Um, I, I wouldn't think it is a debate, but to some in the circle, it is actually a debate between robots versus technology and human. Um, so thank you for joining us today, Patrick. Thank you for having me. It's really glad. I'm really glad to be here. Second of why we should have done this a long time ago, but here we <laughs> are. Okay. Uh, so um, you have had many active roles um, that have an impact on local community in Charlotte specifically. Um, why don't we start talking about um, what you've been working on, what keeps you busy, um, and how does that come into play when it comes to, you know, FinTech, local communities and banks, uh, what's been going on in Charlotte? Yeah, um, well, it's what a weird time to be recording a podcast, right? I mean, just talking about this stuff, it's it's super interesting. And to give a little context, um, you know, I've had a pretty circuitous career. I kind of say it's from 300,000 to, to 30 to one, right? So whether that's in fintech and banking, healthcare technology, manufacturing, I've done some ed tech, right? And um, it's given me an interesting perspective to work at kind of global banks down to small startups and, and, and now doing, which we'll get to a little later, this, um, we'll call it human kind of workforce development stuff. Um, that said, Locally here in Charlotte, it has been really interesting to see a growing community um, figure out, you know, their how they're going to come together, how they're going to work together. Um, and so I've been involved with things like the Carolina FinTech Hub, which we'll talk about in a little bit. There's the COO there. Um, you know, I've been involved with just trying to connect people locally, right? And I think that's what's been most interesting is is where I where I really thrive and what I enjoy is kind of making those connections, whether they're in industry or cross industry or not. But um, I mean, a little bit about that to your point about how is it ever changing? You know, Charlotte is a, a banking town. Um, it's Bank of America. It was well, Wachovia, First Union. It was, um, and, and all the permutations of Bank of America before that. And so it's got this like really long history of, of kind of providing and shaping the US banking ecosystem. Um, and there's a lot to it, but as FinTech has come on the scene, there's been this evolution and, and they're trying to figure out, and we're trying to figure out you know, how do we use all that talent here? How do we use all that expertise, but also not be beholden to kind of what was, um, you know, further on, I mean, to the, to those points, right. Um, in changing that, I think a lot of it's about mentality, right. I mean, I think that's been, been the biggest thing, right. Cause it, it, I originally was this outsider working at, um, was it a, a large vendor who provides banking services and you get in there and you start learning more about um, the regulation, the compliance, you start learning more about why the, the kind of the risk setup of banking. And then um, I do a little work with a um, company in Texas called, called FedFiz and, and the Mayos um, are outspoken kind of community banking um, uh, advocates. And, and you start talking to them and, and learning about sort of the underpinnings of how the financial services system is this kind of critical infrastructure, right? I mean, it is, we don't think about it. It's kind of this invisible data sharing platform that's, you know, enabling transactions, connecting people. And, and while we're out, you know, buying things and, and, and getting mortgages or maybe we don't have the access to that. I mean, that's the other half of this. 
Um, we don't really think about all the piping and all the kind of back end systems that make it work and the checks and the compliances, you know, compliance aspects that, you know, prevent fraud or whatever it may be. And over time, you get this good picture of um, you start to understand a little bit why it's been hard to innovate. You start to understand a little bit why it's been hard to shift that mentality and why, you know, the default of um, saying no to new ideas is is kind of prudent in a way. I mean, it's it's a bit of a dilemma, right? We Maybe we can do a, a banker's dilemma, right? the, the new version of that, because it's a little tough to say, I need you to go outside your 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 risk. I need you to go outside your your, your credit box. I need you to think about customers in a new way. Um, but when you have years and years and hundreds of years of, of, of uh, products and services that you've developed over time that you've run you know, different models for, um, you know, this didn't start uh, just 50 years ago, right? This is a hundred year old, hundreds of year old industry. And um, there's a reason, you know, it's been successful and been able to, to kind of enable economic activity, but that's also, you know, part of the reason it's hard to, to change that. And you know, I've worked a little bit in healthcare before, and, and the the similarities are obvious. Where you have a very serious topic, right? People's money, people's health, and it has been quite interesting to to say, hey, we want innovation, we want new stuff, we want things to change completely. But as soon as you're missing a penny from someone's paycheck, as soon as you're missing um, a dollar, right, where something's wrong, um, people get really upset, right? As they should. It's it's their money, right? And it's it's their hard earned kind of represents their hard earned work. Or if they can't get that loan or they can't get that piece, it's 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 personal, right? But you know, that mentality from the banker side is, well, it's risk, it's compliance, it's numbers. And we're starting to see that um kind of butt heads and, and changing that mentality to kind of go off this long-winded uh kind of uh soliloquy here is is that's the hard part, right? Getting people to get opened up and, and thinking about, well, how do we not destroy the system, but how do we make it a little more accessible, easier, a little more personal, a little more human? I relate to that too, because I came from telecom, right? And so if you think about telecommunication services, um, how it evolved from a landline to cell phones, and we take it for granted. We take it for granted that you and I can talk right now. We take it for granted that you can just place a call to your mom, wherever she is. You take it for granted that, you know, oh, okay, well, we were from home. We'll just pick up a call somewhere. But we don't think about the piping, like you, like you said, the infrastructure, the back end behind it that allows us to place that phone call. We just take it for granted. And as, you know, telecommunications is something that we, has been going on for a long, long time. And I see a lot of similarity between that and banks um, because we were scared to make changes. Like, God forbid, if you do something and then the 911 responder cannot respond to an emergency call. Or, you know, someone miss a call and somehow a life is at stake, right? Th those are important things. Um, I, I don't think I actually ever appreciated how important telecommunications was until 9-11 when I tried to place a call and um, to my parents and I, I could not get through for half a day. I kept guessing, getting busy signal. And I realized, oh my goodness, this is something that, that is so basic. It should be a fundamental need. Just like in banking, we go out and we, we buy things, right? Right now, everyone is talking about stocking up. Well, you need to have the resources, the money to go and buy the things to do the transaction. You need to rely on that to work so that you can exchange the goods and do what you need. 
Um, and, and I think far too often we, we forgot the fundamentals of that and why it exists to begin with. Well, and, and building off that, one of the things um, to, to your question about <clears throat> kind of changing that and, and, and why I kind of started with culture and mentality is, is, is it's not really that there isn't enough people, even these larger banks or, or community banks that don't want to do it, right? And I think they recognize to the point you just made, it's not even just about them. And, and I think this is where it's it's tough as a banker that you have to, or just financial services to begin with is sure you want to provide your core service but it, for, let's say you're, you're enabling payments to happen transactions um and that's sort of on both sides right you have an obligation for the the, the buyer in this transaction for it to go through um, not only because that's what they're expecting and, and that's what you're kind of saying you're delivering and on the flip side the seller whoever that may be also is expecting it to come through um, and to make sure that they're getting checked for things like, is this credit card they're using um, theirs? <laughs> is it is it is it fraud? Is it not? But it doesn't really stop there, right? Because it's also, um, you know, the ability for this payments to, to ha happen in this example is a reflection of the 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 merchant or the seller's uh, reputation, right? It's a if there's an issue there and it doesn't work, it's not just oh, I'm going to go blame my bank or something like that. Um, it's this person may not come back to that store or this person may not sign up for that service. And so the responsibility that is kind of airs on the side of make it work, you know, with, with, with at least amount of innovation as possible almost to just make it happen um, is more than just a functional thing. It, it's, it has to take into the fact that it's about the experience, which is why, you know, fintech and payments in particular have become the forefront of a lot of change across many industries. And I think, um, it's it's a it's a weird balance that that they the industry finds themselves in of, of being responsible for so many things that they they um, they touch right and and then even if they can't control that um, they also don't get a pass when when that you know card fails or something like that. Let's let's talk about making those changes. Um, let's talk about some of your experience in Carolina FinTech Hub, which is described as a regional accelerator looking for unique fintech and pure tech and technology companies to serve financial services in the Carolina region. So all that, um, what have you guys learned since you started? And, and tell us a little bit more about the model, what you're doing there. Yeah, so I was around when it's when it was getting formed. It was it took a long time. Right. And to the, the short kind of thumbnail version is um, I think it started as a, like a mayoral initiative um, with a guy named Dan Roselli and, and Mayor Claude Felter at the time. And um, it just evolved over years, right, to get the people at the table. So, first and foremost, it was about bringing people together. We had, um, I think it reflected a little bit of the, the uh, banks versus fintechs, fintechs versus banks partnerships, right? Um, this idea that the industry started saying, well, maybe it should be a little more collaborative. <laughs> and, and I think bringing people together to say, we've got this um, pretty um, amazing foundation of people, of companies. Um, you know, there's the, the Bank of Americas of the world, which, which lots of people have heard of, but just the amount of um, banking and technology experience that I've been building there. And, and specializing in things like risk and compliance. Um, you know, we, we have a lot of the investment bankers that aren't in New York. Uh, we have just a really interesting mix. And, um, you know, traditionally, and, and I think this has been not necessarily unique to Charlotte by any means, but the Carolinas for that matter, 
um, you know, how do you get everybody on the same page, right? How do you not have sent, people saying, well, it's you know, this side of town's the Bank of America side of town, this side's the Wells Fargo side of town, just for the obvious, obvious split. And start saying, we'd all benefit if we work together, right? We, we aren't New York or San Francisco or London um, as, as one city, but as a region, we've got a lot of the same benefits, a lot of the same expertise and a lot of really um, uh, benefits to, to working here. And I think that recognition of let's come together, let's uh, highlight and, and, and work together to, to not have to, to stand out you know, globally of attracting talent, of attracting people. I mean, Charlotte in, in particular is a very fast growing city and has lots of headquarters moving here now, you know, lower cost of living. Um, it's a bit more, uh, these days, it's a bit more spacious, <laughs> which is now becoming a pro instead of a, of a con. And uh, bringing these folks together to say, let's, let's, let's um, you know, collaborate, right? So that was the, the idea of we're, we're better together than separate. So what has happened since then is uh, it took a little while to figure it out and it's still only three or four years old officially, but I was on for about a year as the COO and it was about coming up with some of the programming that addressed the community needs. So it got into talent, innovation, and, and engagement, right? So how do you start connecting people is engagement, whether it's through events, whether it's through meetings, whether it's through just making those connections. Um, even though folks are in the same line of business, they didn't know their peers across the street. Um, innovation was about giving a new opportunity for startups and, and, and companies to say, hey, have you considered coming here and working directly with a little smaller um, relative to New York or something, um, a little a more accessible ecosystem? Um, have you thought about your company kind of getting all the benefits of, of, of expertise here without sort of the pay? Um, and then building off of the work that Queen City FinTech built um, over the years to say, this is a, a, a unique place to, to start or to grow. Um, and then the, the talent piece was uh, the same thing that everybody's fighting for, which is how do you get the combination of technical talent and business talent and either cultivate them locally or have folks say, hey, I, um, I'm looking for a change. You know, have you considered Charlotte if you're in the financial services industry? When, when you think about the things that you've learned the last three or four years uh, as part of the fintech hub, are, are these things that can be applied to other regions? I mean, what do you think is is sort of unique about the model and what you've learned? And, you know, what's the, what, what are the major differences between a New York, San Francisco? It's not just capital. It's not just people. It's not universities, not corporate headquarters. I mean, it's a very, very, you know, unique way to think about co coalescing all of the power of a region into to, sort of funneled into something that can grow and expand. I mean, tell us some of those lessons that you guys have learned and how it could be applied to other places. What you said is probably first and foremost is um, moving past the idea that as a collective unit and as a community, you're going to be stronger anyway, right? You, you, know, you want to compete on the marketplace and you want to, <clears throat> you want to um, compete on the marketplace and you want to obviously win in a way um, your, for your respective business, but um, the, the, the folks around you, you can learn from and innovate and collaborate with. But to your, to your broader point, the, the, the second thing is where you ended off, which is the recognition that you aren't you know, Silicon Valley or you aren't New York, like that's fine. Like you're not gonna go make those again, right? You're not gonna have the same history, the same people, the same expertise and starting off saying, well, what do we have, right? Where, 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 where are we unique and what are the differentiators, whether that's geography, whether that's cost of living on a sort of um, 
you know, basic side, or whether it's the expertise of people who are in your town, right? So again, you know, fintechs these days are finding that regulation and compliance are pretty tough. (laughs) So, you know, having folks locally that you can talk to um, is something that Charlotte said, hey, we've got a lot of that. We've got a lot of this mobile banking experience and payments experience throughout the banks that have been there. I mean, there's you know, giant merchant services companies and, and all the kind of secondary players around it. So saying, well, what do we have? And what do we um, kind of hang our hat on and grow from uh, and start there as opposed to you know thinking you're going to have all the capital and all the startups and all the universities, because that'll just take time. But you know that seed that you plant and putting it on something that you have that others don't is where it germinates and, and you build from that because where it ends up in 10 years, 20 years, whatever it may be, um, you can't really predict. But, you know, starting with with where you can differentiate, I think, is an important piece. Um, the only other thing I'll add is so starting with where you differentiation and starting smaller. Right. Um, so you, we had to get this group of large corporates, government startups all put together and then saying, well, what's some um, issues that we can clearly define that we as a community want to solve and don't mind collaborating to do um, now, right? So talent is a big one, an obvious one, and everybody wants the best talent, but they realized it'd be easier to kind of pool resources and, and pool um, the, the, the resource that we do have to say, we collectively will all benefit if we all have more access to talent. We would like to give a mention to our creative partner, Tremendousness. Tremendousness is a creative agency that uses visual thinking, information design, and storytelling to help organizations explore innovations, products, and processes. Learn more at www.tremendo.us. I like that. The, the story that you're just telling reminds me of um, Atlanta. They share some of the similar t- characteristics. If you think about payments talent, uh, some of the uh, universities that's there, for example, Georgia Tech and, and all of those. Um, and, and I would love to see more of these efforts being replicated in different local hubs. As you say, you know, local talent, local community is important. Um, which brings me to um, reskilling, right? You talked quite a bit about talent. You talked a little bit about um, things changing, things evolving, and <laughs> unless we've been in, in a cave, um, things have been evolving uh, for good or bad. Um, and um, and same goes with skill sets, right? What what we need before versus what we need now versus what we'll need in the future. Um, that constantly evolving. What do we do with with the people that that are there that had some of the prior experience? How do we retune them, reskill them? to meet what we need in the future. Yeah, I mean, talent and people is such a, it's the heart of everything, right? And, and no matter what we're doing, um, whether it's collection of businesses, whether it's, you know, the, the ecosystems that we're talking about, the communities, I mean, we put these concepts of, you know, an organization or, or a hub or whatever it may be, but in the end, I mean, I think this is the Sapiens book, right? To a T, right? It's the concepts that we align around um, that really brings us together, right? And um, those are all made up of people, right? Every number, every dollar, every customer, every data point that we kind of say we're looking for is is there's a person, a family, a, a community member, a neighbor behind that. And what I'm spending 
the majority of my time doing right now is is bringing a company called Catalyte to the southeast, and and it's all about workforce development. And um, you know, without going too much into the details of Catalyte right now, to your question, first and foremost, I think it's about that recognition of of the person that you're um, kind of targeting, right? And this idea that these people are going to magically have all the skills and after three months or a five-week camp or whatever it may be, just isn't realistic. It's not a human time scale for evolving your culture, um, adopting skills, and not even just learning them, but applying them and going through the failures of, of, of using them um, and believing that you can do them. And I think this aspect that it starts with giving the confidence, support, and appropriate amount time um, is, is probably first and foremost the thing that I've learned over the years, which is, you know, we aren't computers, right? And so it's it's almost silly to say out loud, but we've got we've sort of adopted this, you know, we can come up with some hacks and algorithms um, and ways to to in, in 21 days or less change our entire lives. And and it does start with those daily actions. But, you know, we're complicated emotional beings with more than just uh, skills to have and, and to obtain. And, and that takes a while. So what's been what's been encouraging in, in, in talking about Catalyte and, and trying to find non-traditional talent and how do you do that is you have to start with the belief that that um, there, that people and humans are kind of all have those innate skill sets. We're different. Not everybody should be a software engineer. Not everybody should be a painter. Not everybody should be a cook, right? Whatever it may be. But there are folks across and throughout our communities that, that do have those innate skills. And you got to have um, what's cool about combining it with technology is there's new ways to actually use data to find those people, to find those, those folks who were traditionally written off because they didn't have the degree, the experience, the whatever it may be. But you start saying, well, do they have the fundamental um, aptitude or capabilities? Yes. And if so, let's give them the proper amount of training and then let's give them the proper amount of time to to become that. And um, I think what what corporations are finally realizing is there's just been a lack of investment on the and appreciation on the human side of, of learning and development and, 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 and training and reskilling. Um, and, and that's thankfully changing and shifting. And, and as we are. Um, everyone says we are, are lacking, you know, this big skills gap. Um, we're starting to realize we're not lacking in the people that could fill it. We're lacking in the opportunities and the pathways to obtain it. And that just is going to be more than a new app or a new, <laughs> a new, a new user experience, right? Um, and I think there's a lot of secondary implications to all that. But, but that's fundamentally, I think, been, been the biggest shift. Is um, it takes time and it takes kind of belief and it takes know essentially the resources to invest in people so i want to add one more thing to the reskilling conversation that i think has been a pretty fundamental shift in and what i've what i've seen with the data in the current environment that works right what's really interesting about what is the sustainable way to reskill it is so much less about the hard skills i'm not saying that hard skills are important things like coding or you know technical analysis or knowing how to do the the ins and outs of your job um, it is critical, right? But what has been fascinating to see is the long-term sustainable sustainable solution has been about coaching behaviors. It's about looking at who is successful, um, why are they successful in their job, and very rarely, unless you're just doing super, super specialized stuff, is it about I'm the most technically skilled person to do this. It's much more about 
how do I work better with my team? How do I learn um, how to engage in, in kind of hard problem solving? How do I learn to engage business stakeholders? How do I advocate on the customer's behalf or, or just do the day in and day out routines better? Um, and it's really about relationships, right? On your team and that all permeates up. And I think um, it has been really fascinating when, when I talk about you know coaching and, and, and these long-term successes, when they say, well, you're obviously gonna teach them the advanced skill of this or advanced skill that. And it's like, no, I mean, they're gonna learn that, that's fine. But what I'm gonna be teaching them over kind of after they start their job, for example, is about behaviors, about the things that you repeatedly do every day to be a better, um, to add more value to your team and, and the people around you. And that I think is becoming um, hopefully a, a more sustainable way to give um, more people opportunity because everybody can, can be coached and learn the behavior side. Can I say thank you for not saying the word soft skills? Because that would drive me crazy. Oh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's so hard to the soft skills. Uh, I, there was a great movement to call them power skills. I think it was some, you know, some from AT&T or something a long time ago. Hasn't quite caught on. So maybe we'll start that here. Power skills or something like that. Human skills. I don't know. Anything but soft skills. I'm with you. And Tom Peters, right? Tom Peters is, is the best of this stuff. Yeah, exactly. Because every time when, you know, you see people talking about future of work, and what you need in the future, they always say soft skills and immediately soft skills became, you know, something that a woman does like, mm, no, I think every single human being needs to learn how to be a human being, period, regardless of gender. Sorry. <laughs> Diverging. Oh, good. I, I, it is, it is, it's behaviors, right? And, and we can all, uh, it takes time to adopt those new behaviors. So. So let's talk about one of those soft skills, uh, because as much as we don't like to label things as such, uh, you say in your profile that your goal is to add value and that if you can't, you'll connect with someone who can. So tell us about what your network means to you. You know, who have you connected and what are some of the results of those connections? I got some great advice when I was sort of in a, I'll call it transitional or kind of pivotal kind of career moment, right? So this is about seven, eight years ago. And a good friend of mine, Manoj Govindan, who uh, hopefully one day will be here, but just um, kind of sat me down one day and I was, I was struggling a little bit um, because I, I was kind of doing this, you know, what, what am I getting out of this? What should I do in my career? And he kind of just said, hey, listen, why don't you kind of give um, a little bit of a give first mentality? Listen to the person you're talking to. See if you can help them out. If you can, great. If not, um, you know, no big deal, but start there. And then I think you'll feel, you'll see that they'll change um, your mentality a little bit, right? And I really took that to heart and I've been trying to practice it ever since. And it's, you know, not easy to do, uh, to, to fight some of the sort of uh, human instincts of wanting something for yourself, right? But at the same time, it's been um, really important to say, you know, if someone's got something and they're trying to, um, you know, make it happen, whether I think it's good, bad, regardless of, of its uh, viability, um, and they're trying to solve a big problem, a small problem, you know, being the critic and just saying, oh, that's never going to work or whatever it may be, or, or, well, I don't really know. I don't, I don't really believe in that, or it doesn't, it doesn't help anybody. Right. Um, and, and so saying, well, listen, you're trying to do something big or great or small. Um, and if I have a person that I know, if I have a, you know, an idea, a book, a podcast, uh, or just a word of advice that they're looking for, um, I try to give it right. And that point about if I can't add value, um, that value may just be that just, just saying, I can't help you. Right. And, and just being honest and admitting that. 
but then vice versa saying, hey, you're, you're particularly when we're trying to encourage new ways of thinking, we're trying to try and change mindsets, and we're, we're trying to kind of come up with new solutions, um, you know, helping people kind of get a little further, make a little more progress, I find is a lot more rewarding and satisfying and, and kind of fits the mission of, of um, helping us all get better than, you know, being the critic who can say and predict whether this is good or bad or when it is never going to work and, um, you know, whatever it may be. So this idea of give first um, when you can, be honest when you can't, and then connect people um, over time, I think is just paid dividends for making me happier and making the people around me say, hey, at least he's going to try, but at least he's going to put me in touch with someone who can, but it's, you know, it's, I don't know, it's a shift in mindset. It's been really beneficial for me. So I need to thank Manoj then, because I think <laughs> yeah. some, somehow, somehow, I actually can't even remember how you and I connected. Maybe it's either him or, or Greg, um, one, of, one, of, one of the two of them. But um, I would have to say every single conversation I've had with you has been very delightful. And think about Super Connector. You are the one. You never ask for anything back. You just connect and give. And, um, and I think it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's wonderful. I, I wish more people can do that. And we will get Manosha on. I am curious to see how his house renovating has been going. Well, uh, <laughs> he can talk to you a lot more about Atlanta, who, who Atlanta is doing some awesome stuff, to your point earlier. Yes, 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 absolutely. Um, so before we wrap up, we want to talk about one of your favorite authors and one of your favorite book, Team Human, um, Douglas Rushkoff. We're big fans, too. I think we ran a, um, an episode last year um after reading his book it's um it's about humanity it's about humanity it's about humility it's about how we work together as a species and then there there's a quote that we like um we must remember that we only survive and thrive when we work as teams when we work as an us um i would i would say that it's probably even more important than ever that we work together across boundaries across borders across societies and communities. Um, do you think what we're going through right now will actually fundamentally change our behavior or is what we're seeing the, the, temp the temporary display of kindness and, uh, and the temporary display of, of um, animosity, whatever emotion and reaction that you're seeing, um, do you think that's going to stick? Are we going to get better? So I hope so. Um, and and I, I, I believe we are, you know, given given all the facts we have. And, and the reason I think that and the reason this book kind of spoke to me pretty, pretty well is and if you've read it or you listen to the, the, the podcast, um, sometimes I feel like I'm not quote radical enough or something because I mean, they've just got this crazy disparate group of people that's doing pretty amazing things. Um, but to well, I have this belief that, you know, we're human first and foremost, right? And we've been in this very interesting data-driven, technologically-driven phase, um, combining that with a, about you know, individualization, right? It's targeted marketing. It's, I know all these data points about you, right? Um, but when you talk about how do you combine this idea that individuals are important and deserve to have a voice, but also give them the context that they also are part of the team, right? They're part of the community, whether that's your family, whether that's your friend group, whether that's your community, whether that's globally. Um, you know, it, it's really sort of the first time in history where you can can do all that at the same time. And we're kind of sorting through sorting through what that looks like. And I think we're at a point of where the 
the individualized kind of tribal nature has been kind of leading. Um, and I think when we've been over-reliant on data, on, on looking to someone else or something else to tell us what to do and not listening to that kind of human, what is my, you know, this doesn't seem right to me, right? And not to say you, should be, you shouldn't have some data-driven uh, fact-based um, um, hypotheses and test those things at all, but I think we're pretty unique uh, kind of beings that can can sense when someone's upset. That that we're having to train people. I mean, it's the machine out machine learning stuff, right? It's like it takes eight billion pictures to, to identify the cat, but a kid can do it in you know ten minutes, right? After you give them left time. So, what I like about it and and why I think it's going to stick is I think we we have it in us. We all have it in us anyway, and we have the tools now and the technology to sh shift that. And so it's been this very atomized, text-based, kind of disconnected technology. And But if you think about, we've got the components. We don't need crazy new things to, to, to get us done, but we have more people that are seeing the value of um, community, um, of connecting online, of hearing someone's voice, of seeing someone's face. And not only, not, not until you... Um, can't do that. You can't go outside. You're sheltering in place. Do you realize? Oh, I actually do like to to talk to people and to be with people and see people. And and I don't actually like to just sit here in my room and and, and just look at you know data or content all day. And so my hope is that it'll sustain because people will realize how important a community is around them, whether it's the medical professionals or the folks stocking the grocery store right now, um, and start saying, well, man, I need to be a little nicer, a little kinder. But what I really hope is. We are going to not say technology is bad or good, but it's our choice to use it as a tool to reconnect people, right? At the individual level, which we can do um, at, at scale, which has never been possible in history. Um, but then remembering we're all part of a team, right? We're all part of the same group. And, and we're not gonna defer that to some algorithm or some data result. And, um, you know, I don't think that's where innovation lies. I think it's the kind of reconnecting and rehumanizing what tech and fintech and banking and all the things we're talking about can do. And that mindset shift will be what I hope is what sustains it, right? Not to say it won't be bumpy. I mean, I think we're gonna be in a very weird time for a while. Uh, we're kind of splitting a little bit, but the individuals that have come to play and, and have stepped up and have done all the things that um, you'd hope um, um, others would do has been inspiring and hopeful. And I think that happens all the time, right? Every time we have a, crisis of some sort. It's those individuals that are printing, uh, 3D printing masks for doctors, right? Or, or coming up with ingenuitive, uh, ingenious ideas to help them. And I think we'll see more of that. I, I think hopefully we'll, we'll shift some of our, you know, smartest and brightest and, and people and find them, the ones that we're, they're kind of hidden in plain sight and give them an opportunity to say, let's have a bit more purpose and mission filled world as opposed to a, um, kind of uh, raising fundraising, fundraising and exiting kind of world. It's uh, priorities and, and hopefully crisis is what brings out the best in people and the leadership in people, right? We have we have the choice, like it's a choice. The future is not written. And and if we want to be more human, we, we can be. We just we just have to do it, right? It's, it's weirdly simple. It's hard to do, but a weirdly simple concept. So there you have it. We have a choice to be human. So thank you so much. For joining us today and um, as always a delight to talk to you and thank you so much for listening to another episode of one vision